I know your works and that you are neither cold nor hot. And I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And because you say I am rich and became wealthy and have need of nothing, and do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. For as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. For behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to those who overcome, I will grant to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for a beautiful day where we live. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings and those serving around our building. Lord, I pray for your hand upon our hearts today. For those who will hear it today and future on the radio and on the internet, that they would search their hearts to see whether or not they are lukewarm. And so, Father, we pray that you just bless, open up our hearts to your word today. Thank you, Lord, that we are gathered. We love you and we pray, Lord, Maranatha, that you would come soon. Thank you, Lord, for the time in which we live in. Even though it is filled with trials and heat, (laughs) scorching all around us. But Lord, as we will see today, you want us to be refreshing. We love you, Lord. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, as we are now ending this section of the seven letters to the seven churches, we are coming to that place. Only one more time will we show you this slide. It is right now. Revelation is easy to understand, is it not, church? Write the things which you've seen, chapter 1, the things which are that's right now the seven letters to the seven churches and then next week we will journey into a brand new section of revelation which are the things that will take place after this very easy to understand this book of john the revelator but as we have gone through the seven letters to the seven churches we apply them four ways remember that We apply them, number one, because these are real churches in 95 AD when John is writing this. So as we will see today about this real city of Laodicea, it also applies to church history over the last 2,000 years. We will see this church is a modern-day church. It was birthed after the 1900s. It also applies to churches today, and I will tell you, there are a lot more Laodicean churches than you think. Sadly, that is the case. But also sadly, the case is that there are a lot of individual Laodiceans. And and again, because we live in the United States of America, we have become, and as we will see, the entitled church. 
that people think that they are entitled to certain things when they come to church rather than seeing our need to serve and love one another. It is not about you. Are you ready for it? Sadly, it is not about you. It is about the guy on the back wall. It is all about Jesus. And when we make it about us and my needs or what I want, we become entitled like the Laodiceans. So let's dive into what we've got a bunch to unpack today. And we're going to journey to Turkey as well. He says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Micah, let's show them lastly for our map where Laodicea is in modern day Turkey. Again, it is the last of these seven churches. It is in what we would know today, the hot portion of Turkey. It is right next to a town called Heropolis, and it's next to a very small town called Colossae. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Because Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians. And so there it is, Laodicea. It is known for four things, if you're taking note. And all of these four things, Jesus references in this letter to them. That's why I was t- talking to my brother uh, before service, and I said, you know, again, and I know I say this all the time, our problem in the modern-day church is context. We don't know the historical background of these cities or even the Bible as a whole. Now, listen, the Laodiceans don't need anybody to translate to them this section of Scripture. They know fully what Jesus is saying to them. It is our problem in the modern day world where we've lost history and because churches don't teach the context of the Bible and just pull out a verse to make you happy. By the way, this is a highly offensive message today. I just want to let everyone know because we're going to get to that. But it is highly offensive to the modern day church. So this Laodicean church is on the trade routes, which makes it very wealthy. And so that is the number one thing that it's known for. It's known for its wealth, its extreme wealth. In fact, in 40 40 AD, there was a huge earthquake that just decimated the entire city and the region. Heropolis as well as Colossae, they were all damaged by this earthquake, and because the Roman government wanted these cities to keep going and to thrive, they came in with government assistance. You think that's something new after a disaster. Man, that goes back to Rome. Listen, Laodicea was so wealthy, they said, we don't need any government assistance. Kind of like how South Carolina told the government that a couple of years ago. They came in and said, we want to help you during the hurricane. They said, no, we don't need any help. We're South Carolinians. We take care of our own, amen? We just like Texans. It's a little smaller. (laughs) So keep that in your mind. They're a a very wealthy city. That will come up later in our study. It also, they manufactured a special eye salve, a medicinal purpose for their eyes. That'll come up. 
as well as a glossy black wool cloth that now is extinct. They don't have that variety of animal anymore. But if you had this, ladies, think about this, shiny wool. They don't have that today. It was by God's creation, uh, this animal that lived in this area, and it was exported all over the Roman world. If you were wearing this, it was like Versace or whatever, you know, Walmart brand uh, that you and I shop for. That will also come up. Number four, and the, the thing that Jesus speaks the most about in this section is that they are known for their water source. Again, they were near Heropolis, which was a famous medical area. Uh, it had hot springs. Colossae was known for its pure cold water, and we will see that Laodicea is right in the middle of that. Now, the, la- the name Laodicea means the people ruling or the judgment of the people. Thus, the church of the Laodiceans were directed by the people rather than guided by the Lord. You see, the Laodiceans, that, that mentality continues today. It's amazing... Uh, that these influential churches across our country regularly have interviews with celebrities who are not really living godly lives. They treat the service more like an infomercial than a holy service given over to the Lord of praise and worship. They're more about positive stories rather than sanctification, as we will see today, and purity and holiness. They talk about smile and be happy has, well, often replaced by the message of the repentance and of the cross. And lastly, about the modern church, it's about a church that says, come and not be offended. Isn't it interesting that in church history, that's where we got. We finally got to the last one in the list inside of church history. This is not only the modern-day liberal church, but it also is the modern-day entitled church. Both, as we will see, have their own ways of doing church. I put that in air quotes. But they have no real power from God to accomplish changed lives. And that's what you need to hear today, because God is in the business of changing lives, not necessarily making you feel good about the situation or the lifestyle that you are currently in. He told the woman at the well, for all intents and purposes, stop being a floozy. Did he not? That's our modern word. (laughs) She had many husbands. She was seeking out something And he said, stop doing that. I have living water for you. This church and individuals like it will find themselves left behind. And the sad thing about it is they won't even know that they've been left behind. Not only that is they will believe whatever the government tells them happened to you and I. They will believe the lie and they will go on having church as they have always had it just without us wacko Christians, us evangelicals, fundamental Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled believers. 
they will go on having church. And I didn't get to this last week, but when we were talking about the rapture, when the church is gone, all of these buildings are going to be empty. And there's going to be church down the street. Whatever the name of that denomination is or whatever it is, they're going to have Laodicean church. And they are going to believe the lie. My prayer is that those who are left behind get a whack up. A whack up? Well, I was trying to add Jesus hitting them with a two-by-four and then a wake-up. So a whack-up is new. I want credit for that later. Put that on a shirt, Micah. Whack-up for Jesus. Wait, what? (laughs) What does that have to do today? Nothing. Verse 15. I know your works. I think sometimes you guys come here just to hear me invent words. You're like, did you hear what he said today? Yeah, we know. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I could wish that you were cold or hot. Now, in time past, I have taught this just like every other pastor. And if you go and read commentaries, you will read about this way that Really, pastors have been teaching for a long time. And the idea is that they say, and I have said plenty of times, that God wants us to be hot, right? I.e., zealous for Him, having a burning passion for Him. God wants you to be on fire. And, And look, it says, I want you to be hot or cold, which is unfeeling or disengaged from the things of God. I want you to either be burning or just not anything. Jesus said it would have been better if you had never heard the word, but to hear it and reject it. And not to say that that wasn't true, because it is, and it does show itself in other portions of Scripture. But, but it does not apply here, because the application and the context of it is different. Remember, Laodicea, was extremely wealthy. Remember that? Extremely wealthy. Money and prestige would never let their water supply be hot or cold. Now, what has been taught in the past is that their water sources came from uh, Colossae, which is 12 miles away, and Heropolis around 5 to 6 miles away. Heropolis bringing hot water in, and by the time it got to Laodicea, it became lukewarm. 12 miles away, bringing cold water by the time it gets to Laodicea is lukewarm. Now, if you've been to Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach, you have heard me teach it that way. I tell you that until you go to Turkey, which uh, a few of us guys had a privilege to do, and until you walk around Laodicea, you start to see that that is not what Jesus is saying at all. Are you ready for this? This is going to be fun. (laughs) Again, people in Laodicea knew exactly what Jesus was saying and what he was speaking about. And that's what we're going to get into. Again, looking at the Bible in the proper context. And in this case, it's very relevant to the water system in Laodicea. I want to show you these two images 
One of them, the first one is an image of, a, you know, we all know what an aqueduct is. We know what a Roman aqueduct is. Notice that the Romans oftentimes built them above ground. They didn't want anything to pollute them, right? You didn't want a cow walking by your water source and dropping what cows do. You didn't want that. It would pollute your water source, right? And a lot of times we think that they're aqueducts. I'm from California. There's an aqueduct that goes from Northern California uh, to Southern California. So the Southerners in South, Southern California steal the water from Northern California. And it all goes down there, right? And us in Northern California are like, we like to take a shower, and people in L are like, too bad. But in, in California, the aqueduct is open. It's an open aqueduct system. But that's not how the Romans built their aqueduct system. In fact, let's show you what the pipe looks like inside of the aqueduct. Now, this is in Laodicea. You can see this. It is amazing to me that for the most part, mankind has been using clay pipes for this long. Only till just recently. By the way, I, I was renting a, um, a building in, in Napa, California, and there was a problem with the septic system, and the, the, the plumber came out, this old plumber, and he goes, man, you got a problem. I said, I don't have a problem. My building owner has a problem. He goes, your clay pipes are broken and the, the trees are growing in there. I'm like, what do you mean clay pipes? And he digs it out and they're clay pipes. This is how the Romans built their aqueduct system. Now, if you know anything about this, and you can see how entrenched that pipe is, and then inside of the aqueduct, it's all filled with stone. You got so you, you lay the pipes down, you cover it over, and it is completely sealed. It is a self-sealed system. It's an enclosed system. Nothing from the outside is coming in. Well, here's the interesting thing about that. You run hot water through a pipe like this. I've got a plumber in the front row. Eventually, that clay pipe is going to heat up. And it's going to keep the temperature of that water in there hot continually. It's not going to drop that you and I would think because it's not outside. You got that? So it's thermal capabilities, right? It's properties stay because the pipe is now heated and it stays heated all the way to its source. Well, it's the same in reverse with their refrigeration system, is it not? If you've got super cold water going through a pipe like that, that has soil and rock above it, and it's an enclosed system, by the time it gets out, it is also super cold. So the idea that the water source from 12 miles away that were super cold finally got to Laodicea and it was lukewarm, or the water coming from Heropolis, by the way, there are closer hot springs than Heropolis in that area, several miles away, now they've got two sources. And I want you to think about this way. Do you think rich people are going to have lukewarm water in Laodicea? If you're a town who told Rome, we don't need your money, we'll build our own town again, they are not going to stand for lukewarm water. And so what has always been taught, and again, nothing necessarily wrong with that view, but that's not what Jesus is saying. The Laodiceans have hot water, 
and they have cold water. It's really cold, and it's really hot. And so Jesus says to them, I wish that you were hot. Again, what is hot water to us? What would be hot water to them? Well, if you're taking note, hot water is therapeutic and it is healing. You see, Romans love their hot baths. And who doesn't? The wonderful, the wonderful way that hot water can soothe aching joints and muscles. Isn't it wonderful? If you've got a bath, right, and you've been out and you're up at Arrowwood, even though we don't have baths there, we have showers, but then I come home and I soak in that bath, and it's just so soothing, isn't it? You, you can feel your bones and your, your aching joints and your muscles, right? It's very healing and it's very therapeutic. The Laodiceans also taught that the hot water which carried minerals in it was good for healing. So not only would they bathe in it, but they would drink it. But you weirdos, no, we drink hot water, do we not? It's called coffee or hot tea. And then some of you weirdos just drink it hot without any tea or coffee in it, right? And so in their eyes, because it's a volcanic area, and again, volcanic areas are always lush, there's always good for farming, right? But they also always have healing properties, minerals in the area. And so they believe that not only soaking in it, but drinking that hot water was good for them. Well, Jesus is asking them and us, are we therapeutic? Are we healing to those around us? Jesus is asking them, are they like the water source which they so desperately treasure? Are they as the church and individuals who believe in Jesus, are they being therapeutic and healing to others around them that are aching in the, in the world in which they are living in? They are sore and they are tired of living in a messed up world. Are we being as therapeutic and healing as the water that they so desperately crave. Now, what about cold? Again, that cold water came from glaciers coming off of the mountain from Colossae 12 miles away. How many of you have ever, you're hiking, you're way up in the mountains, right? And you go and you take a drink of that very cold water coming off of the mountain. It is refreshing, is it not? You know what it's like to have a cold beverage on a hot day? In, the La in Laodicea, it gets very hot. Again, it's in the middle of Turkey there. It's very hot. And throughout the city, they had cold water stations for people to be refreshed in the intense heat of the day in which they lived in. And so Jesus is asking them, are you refreshing to those around you in the intense heat of this world? Does the church bring a refreshing message under the fire of violence and corruption, of intolerance and hatred? Does the world see the church as different, or is it just see it like another woke organization? 
Does the world look at the church as bankrupt, without truth, without hope? They come into these entitled churches, and what they get is the same message they hear from the world. It's not refreshing when they walk in the door. Guys, do you know how many times I have heard somebody say to me after the message, that was so refreshing to hear? My pastor doesn't teach like that. He doesn't teach out of how refreshing it was to hear the truth. I hear that all the time from visitors. Listen, when someone comes to us burning from the heat of this world, do we, like Jesus, say in Matthew 10, 42, give them a cup of cold water? Why does he say cold? Why doesn't he say just a cup of water? Because Jesus knows what it's like to have cold water, not only in his day, but our day. And so if Jesus is telling us to be refreshing to other people, why aren't we doing that? But what is the problem with this church? They are not being refreshing, and they are not being healing. They're not therapeutic to those who are around them. So what are they? Verse 16 says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I don't even want to see that video of Jesus. Lukewarm. Now listen, let's put it in context to the Laodiceans. So the Laodiceans taught that hot water was therapeutic and it was healing. It had minerals in it, as well as the cold water. You know the thing about hot and cold water is that if there are impurities in those waters, you don't taste it. You don't taste it in the hot, you don't taste it in the cold. But when do you taste it? Man, when it goes tepid, when it goes lukewarm, you're like, man, have you... Look, no show of hands. You, you come in, it's a South Carolina, woo, humid, 99% humidity, 105 out, right? The heat index is 3,000 degrees. You just cut the grass, you're about to pass out, you grab water, and it's lukewarm. What do you do? You spit it out. This happened to me just recently at the property. I was cutting grass. I came in. I don't know why I grabbed whatever that water was that was on the counter, but it must have been by the window because it wasn't hot and it wasn't cold. It was disgusting. And I immediately went to the fridge right to where the water comes out that is cold. That was refreshing. Now, don't send me, you medical people, Room temperature water is great. It's better for your, but I don't want to hear it. I know it's, I know you're right. But cold is still refreshing. Do you go to somebody's pool and jump in and it's hot like in the ocean in the summertime? You're like, if I wanted a bath, I'd go home. I love Myrtle Beach, but in the summertime, that water can get really hot out there. That's not refreshing, is it? You go to someone's pool, you want to jump in. Ah. You don't want to jump in and go, I should have brought my bar of soap. That's not refreshing. On a hot day, you want something cold. You don't want something hot. You want something cold. Listen, 
So what they taught was that lukewarm was filled with toxins and impurities. That's what they taught in Laodicea. So what did Jesus just say to them? You are impure and you're toxic. Now do you see the context of this scripture? So the modern day church is toxic to those around. How could it be? It's got a... It's got a steeple and it's got a cross on it. It's got pews and they're singing, how great thou art. We're going to see that it is not (laughs) what they think it is. So Jesus can taste when we are not pure, but not just Jesus. The world can see when the church is also toxic. What a description of the modern day church. All kinds of organizations, programs, committees, activities, but no power. I mentioned it earlier, but let me read the scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 5. Paul telling Timothy that in the last days, it will be characterized by those having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Remove yourself from them. The lukewarm church which claims to be a representative of Jesus Christ, never sees the transformation of a soul from darkness to light, but instead deceives many because they do not have the power of the gospel. Remember I said in the beginning, there is no power of transformation. They don't have that. They're doing church, but they're doing it in man's strength. Man can can gather a crowd real easy. There's entertainment going on, but there is no power of the Holy Spirit. These churches are usually more interested in social action than gospel action, more interested in reformation rather than transformation, more interested in planning than praying. Why is it so hard to get so many people out to a prayer service? It's not exciting. But what is so powerful about prayer? That it transforms lives. Why do we have a prayer chain? So that when there is a need, right, that you can pray for it. I thank you for those who heard that my son uh, had an appendectomy uh, two days ago. And the doctor said, listen, if you had not come in, it would have burst. So we're, we're thankful that, you know, we have an opportunity to put that on the prayer chain. By the way, let me just speak to those who are, you're just those lone gunmen out there. And you go through something and you never let the church know. Why do you do that? If you've got an issue that you're dealing with and you don't have to ever give specifics, but just let us pray for that. Isn't it nice to have 200 people praying versus you, the one Don't be the lone man. And by the way, that's pride. And we just have to lay aside our pride and humble ourselves and say, you know what? I need help. Great. Come and get prayer. Come and pray. Well, I don't know about praying out loud. Guys, and I mean this with all love. Why is that a problem if you know Jesus and love him? If you love Jesus, why would you not express that? to other people and say, my daughter was telling me that the other day, Dad, I'm feeling more comfortable praying in front of other people. You know what that that feels like as a dad? What do you think our heavenly dad says? 
he looks down and goes, it may have been short, but I loved it. I'm putting on my refrigerator. <laughs> God's got a big fridge. Look at all of us. He's got to feed later on. Again, the church becomes more woke, but yet not, again, it is broke. Consequently, this church is sickening to the Lord, and so he says, I wish that you were hot nor cold. He just says to this church, why can't you just be refreshing? Why can't you be healing? But you're tepid and you're toxic, and you've got all kinds of impurities. Now, I don't want to go down this path, but, you know, you can sit in this type of church, a Laodicean church, and never be offended and never hear about your sin. My role as a, of a pastor is not to overtly offend you. But this book in which we hold in our hands is offensive to every human being on planet Earth. Why? Because every human being is sinful. And if you're sinful, you're not going to like when someone tells you you're wrong. Does anyone like it when someone tells you they're wrong, right? Arthur Fonzarelli never did. And if you don't know who that is, you'll have to Google that later. Like, what is, why is he bringing up these 70s and 80 references? I won't in the second service because those are millennials. They won't even know. And if you don't know what a millennial is, you're not one of them. They know. So, do you see the condition now? Let's see what Jesus says about that. Verse 17. Because you say, notice, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that, listen, this is his diagnosis of their spiritual state. Notice what they are saying about their spiritual state versus the great physician. He goes, you guys are wretched. You're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. All of those things references those four areas that they are known for in the area. And so let's break it down. What does he say? I counsel you. And the idea is I beg you guys to get your life right. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Again, they thought they were rich, but they were really poor. White garments, remember they sold black shimmering wool? They thought that was the best clothes. And that your shame of your nakedness may be revealed and that you anoint your eyes with eyes out. Isn't it ironic that they're the home manufacturing of the area's prominent eyes out? And so what is he telling them? The church of Smyrna thought itself it was poor, but it was really rich, Jesus said. The Laodiceans boasted that they were rich, but in fact, they were really poor. Perhaps we have a hint of this church's decline spiritually, that they became proud of their ministry, that they had received all of these wealths. Or, by the way, in Laodicea, there are three churches there. There's a Byzantine church, there's a home church that they're excavating, and there's another church. There's always been churches there. So even though they've been destroyed, they just have rebuilt the churches. You go in some of the other cities around the area, they don't find them. And so their wealth of being able to provide for themselves rather than the Lord. Again, in the Lord's eyes, they were wretched and miserable. Notice the solution. 
pay the price to get the true gold tried or refined in the fire. This suggests that the church needed some persecution. Now, as a pastor, you'd you be thinking, uh, why is he telling this church, or if this is me individually, that I need persecution? Because in 1 Peter uh, 1, verse 7, it says, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus. You see, what trials do is it refines us and it takes, are you ready for it? This is kind of like that History Channel stuff. You know, when they pull gold out of the ground, do they immediately sell it to you as a ring? No, it has to go through a refining process. It goes through tremendous violent heat. And it does, that's not just one time. Yes, I'm a weirdo for knowing these facts. It takes multiple times for gold to get to that 99.9% purity, right? So too, you and I, in order to get to that place where God wants us, he continues to put us through the fire. And you go, I don't like that program. It was in the fine print. In this world, you will receive tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So God uses fire, temptation, trials in our life. And what he's telling them is, you guys need persecution. You see, the church in America has become too soft, too whipped cream. What it needs is maybe the government saying, you got to shut down. Well, some churches will just bow to the pressure of the man. But the true church needs to stand up and say, like like Peter and John, as for you, whether we should listen to you or to God, we're going to go with God. And so we won't bow to that, and we won't bow to the pressure. Well, we'll just put a giant fence around your church. We'll arrest you. We'll arrest the pastor. Go ahead. We'll get someone else. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I want to restate this. When I get arrested, I expect somebody, and that would be my brother next, to stand up, come in the pulpit. And when they arrest him, Foy's going to stand up. And when they arrest him, Tom's going to stand up. And then Jack. And then it's going to go down the line until they arrest us all. Because we stand for Jesus, not for what man says. And Jesus says, I need you the entitled church, to have some fire in your life. I need you to feel the pressure of the world coming upon you. Why? Because the world doesn't come upon them because they're no threat to the devil. And so they get along just fine with everyone in the bar next door. In fact, the bar is actually in the church. Santa Cruz, California. You think I just make this stuff up? I can't. It's too good. And then I read them, and my mind blows. Like, how in the world are we living in a world where a church is selling booze on Sunday? Well, California. That's why I left. (laughs) Again, there is no divine condemnation given to this church, or commendation because the Laodiceans were too busy commending themselves. 
Look how good we're doing. We're doing wonderful. They thought that they were really glorifying God when in reality they were disgracing His name just as though they had been walking around naked. And he says, you guys are blind to that. Listen, we can get blind to the things all around us. We, we have those blind spots. And from time to time, Jesus needs to speak into your life and say, as we did on Wednesday night with the weight that's so easily, right? We're running this race for Jesus. We don't want extra baggage on us. And again, it, that weight may be okay for somebody else, but not for you. And Jesus needs to come and tell you that. Second Peter, again, I'm going to go back to Peter, verse 1. I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 9 says this. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, that means continue, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now listen to the, the, the last verse here. He says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Boy, Pete knows how to to give it to us right at the end, doesn't he? He says, you guys are blind. He says, use my medicine, not yours. Manly ways, and I don't mean like manly ways, but manly ways are not going to save us. It's not going to cure us. It is only God's ways and God's word. Well, let's Keep going. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It's interesting to me the word that he chooses for love here. You would think that that word, if you know the the different words in the Greek for love, you would think that that would be agape, that it would say that as many as I agape, I rebuke and chasten. But that's not what the word is. It's phileo. It means as many as I am friends with. What is a true friend in your life? One that will tell you the truth, knowing that you may may be rejected by that friend, and yet you still give that message. That's the definition of a a true friend. Knowing that you're going to speak truth, biblical truth in their life, they may reject you and cast you away, but for the saving of their soul, you will speak truth, and know that you might be rejected. And Jesus says that as a friend. Hey, I'm trying to help you guys out. I rebuke and chasten those who are my friends. He says, be zealous. That word zealous means hot. So be hot again and repent. And verse 20, well known. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so Jesus gives that invitation. Now listen, we often use inside of the church this verse as an evangelistic verse to unbelievers. And yes, it can be applied that way. But who is Jesus writing to? 
He's writing to the church. And so it's an invitation to those who are in the entitled church. And not only that, he's speaking individually. If anyone would open the door, who's in anyone? Well, look around. The tense of the Greek is that he stands at the door and he keeps knocking. It's a continual knocking. There was in 1854... Uh, a man who painted a painting, <laughs> he painted a painting, yeah. genius up here. Uh, his name was Holman, why did you laugh so much? His name was Holman Hunt, and in 1854, he painted this painting of Jesus knocking on the door. I want to show you. It's kind of hard for you to see, but you can see that, and again, uh, the day, right, the halo and all that, uh, look past that, people. It's now hanging in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, but upon its first unveiling, a critic went up to Mr. Hunt, and he said, Mr. Hunt, you've made a mistake. By the way, I love this about critics and about people who tell you your own mistake that you just created. It's like, it's my creation. How could there be something wrong with it? It's like, telling Van Gogh or Monet that he did something wrong. That sale was in the wrong place. So this critic comes up to him and he says, Mr. Hunt, there is no handle on the door. Well, Mr. Hunt fired right back and he said, yeah, it's intentional. You see, the door only opens from the inside. Hunt was right. For it's up to you and I to let the Lord into our lives. He won't kick down the door. He won't force his way into our hearts. We must open the door from the inside. Awesome, isn't that? But let me tell you something you also may not know. Thank you, Micah. Is that, and we've mentioned this about the Galilean wedding. And how it was unique only to the Galilee. And Jesus would, when he was talking about end times, he would usually almost always reference the Galilean wedding. And I encourage you to uh, read the book or watch uh, the movie that we have out there, Before the Wrath, done by a pastor friend of mine, Jay McCarl, who I'm thankful that I I heard this from him, read his book, and, and just richly blessed that. But there is something in here that only John would have known, and he is communicating to the church. But the rest of the Jews in this area and the believers who knew about the Galilean wedding would also know. And for a Galilean wedding, normally the, the papas would get together and they would arrange the marriage. Now, I have two daughters, so I love this plan. Dad, when can I leave the house? When you're 35. (laughs) And what they would do is they would arrange the marriage, right? They would usually be young, literally five, six, seven years old, and they would get together and say, you know, you seem to be, you know, fairly well off or whatever the reasons. We're going to take my son and your daughter and we're going to come together and eventually they're going to get married. And at some point as the young man is growing up, he's adding on to his father's house, right? I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That word receive means to snatch away. And so Jesus is telling them about the Galilean wedding and all the things that they would understand. But what if you got a a teenager, and this is the problem with the teenagers right here, that teenager love. And maybe there was a girl in the, the town and the boy, and they fell in love. Oh, You just have to tilt your head just right to get that moment. Uh-oh. Precious. So it was allowed if it was agreed upon by the families. But it was different in how it went about. And so at one point, the boy would come to the girl's house, and he would knock continually on the door while singing love songs. You thought the love songs were invented in the 70s. (laughs) Muskrat love. It's dating some people right there. As he would be knocking upon the door, right? Singing these love songs. The girl, if she wanted, and of course you know that she was going to, she would open up the door and behind her would be a feast of food. And he would be welcomed in and they would dine together and forever be wedded together. You see, nothing in the Bible is in there by happenstance. It all has a context to it. And Jesus, because he is Galilean and because Most of his followers were Galileans and because they would have told other churches about the Galilean wedding and they would tell them about what he spoke about, about end times and how it applied to the Galilean wedding. When they get to this point, Jesus says, hey, you know what happens when two people fall in love together without the family? They want to be together. And so the picture of Jesus who loves his bride says, let me in. I want to be with you for all eternity. And yet think about it. It is still our choice to open up the door. You know, there is a parallel to this in the Song of Solomon. Where in the Song of Solomon, you've got Solomon and his beloved and they've They've had relations, and then the next morning he comes to her again, and he's he's asking her to come out and go. You know, just that uh, true love wandering through the hillside and all of that. And he says, come away with me. But she's tired, and she just wants to stay in bed. And eventually uh, she comes to the door, and he's gone. You see, guys, God said in Genesis, my spirit will not always strive with men. God will knock and he will knock and he will knock. But because sometimes people just don't want to get up and take the time to walk over to the door and open up the door for God into our lives, he's gone. And there will become a time where you won't be able to open up the door. Now, as it ends, you're like, that was a bummer. Let's keep going. Like, don't end with that. I got a couple more verses. 
to him who overcomes. Notice the blessing and the promise here. I will grant to sit on my throne as I also overcame, and again, you could add the world, right, and everything that the world was throwing at Jesus. And I sat down at my, uh, with my father on his throne. Again, sitting down a, a place of rest. Jesus tells us, I love this, right? He says, listen, open up the door, dine with me, because there's a time when we will all rest. It'll be done, it'll be completed. And so I'm looking around the room, and most of you have ears, do you not? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. These letters to the seven churches, all red letters by Jesus, different areas in church history. I hope that you have enjoyed a little glimpse of church history over the last few months, that we put them in context. But it is a great warning at the end. And isn't it interesting, the warning at the end? It is the Laodicean church at the end. It's the liberal entitlement church who thinks that they can do all the programs without God. They can have all the church, but no power, no transformation. Just make you feel good before you leave. That's all you need is to feel good and to be happy and find the best day of your life or whatever junk that they're pushing this year in a book. None of that means anything when the fire of the tribulations and trials of this world come upon us. God is calling out the church in this age. You've been comfortable in America too long. You haven't had any persecution at all. I mean, what's the worst thing that's happened? Somebody gets, uh, you know, rode up from their supervisor because they had a Bible on their desk. Now people are being fired, being dismissed, canceled because of Jesus. Listen, we're getting to the place where God is starting to weed out the wheat from the tares. I I pray that as we journey through the book of Revelation and next week we will see the church out of here. Amen. Chapter 4 is the rapture chapter. But we already did that, but we'll, we'll see the the song that's inside of it as well. But we're done now. Guys, there is nothing else in church history or in our time that we are waiting for Jesus to return. Israel is where it is. That flag is flying in Jerusalem. We have, thank God, our our embassy in Jerusalem. We are currently standing behind our ally, currently. God has called his people, the Jews, to a regathering. And now he's about to call his bride home. Yeah, that's a, that's a woohoo Jesus right there. So read ahead, Lord willing. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great. We finish Revelation, or the seven letters to the seven churches. We just get rapture. I'm good with that. Lord, we could have just got raptured at chapter 1, but chapter 4 is just fine. Read ahead chapter 4 for next week, Lord willing, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your love for us and that you even call us friends. That just blows my mind, that you want to hang out with us. Oh, you have to love us because you're God, but you like us. And Lord, that's amazing. 
And we pray for anybody, Lord, who is inside the Laodicean church. For we know that he calls those individually in that church to come out, to repent, to be zealous, to see the need for you, to be refined in the fire, to be pure again and not toxic. And so, Lord, thank you for your your beautiful illustrations, the context of the Laodicean church. We thank you, Lord, for your bride. We thank you, Lord, that you're calling us home soon.